The church at Ephesus had been struggling. The the apostle Paul had uh, planted the church and then he had moved on to uh, other ministry, but unfortunately in his absence, false teaching had surfaced in the church uh, at, at Ephesus. And so Paul was obviously concerned with what was uh, taking place, and so he placed Timothy in the church in order to, to counteract, to combat uh, the, the false teaching. It turned out to be a very, very difficult uh, assignment. Uh, and so Paul wrote uh, Timothy uh, a letter, uh, 1 Timothy, in order to encourage him to persevere in the ministry. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and uh, the passage that we'll actually be looking at uh, is uh, verses 12 through 17. But in order to to get a a sense of Paul's uh, uh, train of thought, I'd like us to actually look at some of the preceding uh, verses in the chapter. So if you have your Bible open to 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, Paul starts with his standard greeting in... uh, Uh, verses 1 and 2 of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And then uh, in verse 3, Paul expresses his concern. Uh, And he says uh, the following, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now, Paul doesn't actually explain in detail the nature of the false teaching. But in the, in the following verses, there are a couple hints as to uh, what was going on with, uh, with the false teaching. If you go with me to, to verse 4, uh, Paul says uh, to teach certain persons not to uh, uh, teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies with, which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And apparently the false teachers were spending endless amounts of time discussing minutiae that had nothing to do with the, with the spiritual uh, life. And then if, if you continue on in, in chapter 1 and we were to drop down to uh, verse uh, 7, uh, Paul says the following, still talking about the false teachers, he says, desiring to be teachers of the law. And so apparently a focus on the Old Testament law was also an aspect of the uh, false teaching. And this becomes even more apparent as we move into the next paragraph, verses 8 through 11, where Paul clarifies the purpose of the law. And I'd like you to just note with me verse 9. Paul says this, understanding that the law is not laid down for the just, not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. And so what Paul clarifies is that the law is to confront the ungodly with their sin. And so believers that who have recognized Uh, their sinfulness and turn to to Christ uh, don't need that aspect of the law uh, to be applied to to their uh, lives. And apparently what was happening is that the false teachers were telling uh, the believers that they needed to add uh, practices like circumcision and Sabbath keeping uh, to to their, their lives. And that was a distortion 
of the gospel message that Paul had preached to the church at Ephesus. Now, in our context today, very few of us uh, struggle with whether to keep uh, Old Testament food laws or not. But it is possible that I can have a to-do list, a, a, a list of do's and don'ts that I religiously follow in order to prove to God that I'm worthy of his attention. And you see, that, that's a distortion of the gospel message because the focus then becomes on my effort and not God's grace. And so the question that uh, I'd like us to reflect on morning is the following. What can you and I do to not drift into a distorted message of the gospel? And Paul, in verses 12 through 17, helps us to answer that question uh, this morning. So let's go back to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, and I'd like us to read what Paul says in verses 12 through 17. Actually, we're going to start with verse 11, just to pick up on Paul's uh, uh, thought uh, flow here. So going back to, to verse 11, Paul says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecuted, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, in the paragraph uh, that we're looking at this morning, Paul uses a combination of his testimony along with several key theological uh, concepts in order to focus us on the basic foundational message of the gospel. And in order to keep us from drifting away from the key principles associated with the gospel message. And so going back to, to verse 12, Paul begins with his own personal testimony in verse 12. So let's go back and, and look at verse 12 where Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength. Now, let's just pause for a moment there and uh, ask ourselves the question. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength. Now, unquestionably, during his years of ministry, Paul had experienced God's strength on a daily basis. But most commentators feel that when Paul refers to God giving him strength to, uh, in, in this uh, passage, what he's referring to is the fact that God had equipped him 
for the ministry, equipped him for the task of uh, presenting uh, the gospel. And in fact, one uh, a virgin puts it uh, uh, in this way, that he made me equal to the task. He made me equal to, to the task. So, so with that translation in mind, let's just go back and pick up on, on Paul's testimony again here in verse 12 and, and into verse 13. I thank him who has made me equal to the task. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. And what Paul is doing uh, in these couple of verses is he's thanking God for appointing him to the ministry, for entrusting him with the preaching of the gospel message because God had counted him as, as faithful. But, but then what Paul does, and this maybe is sort of catches us off guard, but then what Paul does is he goes on to talk about his former life before conversion. And, and, and Paul was a, a blasphemer. He, he was speaking against Jesus as the Messiah. And Paul was also a persecutor. He, he was intent on, on tracking down believers, throwing them into prison, and, and having them uh, killed. And, and Paul was an insolent opponent. Uh, he, he was uh, aggressive. He, he was rude. He, he was violent. So, you know, that's the kind of person that Paul, uh, Paul was. And so when we reflect on Paul's past, on his track record, then immediately the question surfaces in our minds this morning, well, how is it, how is it possible that God could count Paul as being faithful? Because that's what Paul says, God, God counted him as being faithful. How is that possible? Well, in, in, in the rest of verse 13 and into 14, Paul anticipates our question. And uh, so he goes on to, to explain. And so in verse 13, Paul uh, highlights God's mercy. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And so Paul begins by highlighting God's mercy. God had extended mercy uh, to Paul and the reason was, you see, Paul, Paul didn't understand what, what he was doing. He, he thought he was serving God by, by tracking down these believers that, uh, that had left the, the Jewish religion. But as it turned out, he was fighting against God. But God in mercy uh, appointed him uh, to, to the ministry. And then in verse 14... We come to one of Paul's favorite, favorite topics in, in, verse, uh, in verse 14. And Paul, in addition to highlighting God's mercy in verse 13, he says in verse 14, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. God extended Paul, extended his grace to Paul. God, by grace, forgave Paul's past and gave Paul the gift of faith and love that transformed 
his life. And what a dramatic change took place in, in the life of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, where God, by grace, stopped Paul in his tracks and extended his mercy and his grace uh, to, to Paul. And, and that phrase that Paul uses uh, in this verse, God's overflowing grace. God's overflowing grace. You know, another translation puts it this way. The grace of our Lord was lavished upon me. The grace of our Lord was lavished upon me. And in that moment, God's ocean of grace washed over the, the life of the Apostle Paul and wiped his slate clean and prepared him for the ministry. God's overflowing grace. And so Paul, in sharing part of his testimony this morning, wants, us, wants you and I to realize that he did nothing, nothing to deserve God's grace. I mean, you and I would have never have picked the Apostle Paul to be an apostle. I mean, just look at his track record. It didn't warrant picking him as, a, as an apostle. But it was because of God's mercy, it was because of God's grace that was poured into his life that God took a blasphemer, God took a persecutor, uh, and uh, transformed him into one of the greatest apostles uh, to preach the gospel message. And so Paul begins this morning with his own testimony. But then as we, as we move into uh, verse uh, 15, Paul leaves his personal testimony uh, for a moment in order to focus on a key theological concept. And so uh, let's go to, uh, to verse 15 where Paul says uh, the following. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now the saying that Paul refers to here in this verse is likely what you and I would call a doctrinal statement that was being used in the early church. And the reason that Paul quotes this, this phrase, this saying, is because it, focus, it focuses on the absolute core message of the gospel. And it also explains the reason why God in mercy and in grace could take a blasphemer and a persecutor and transform him into an apostle. And so the saying begins by, by, by stating that Christ Jesus came into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world. 
I think it's impossible for you and I to, to understand, but Jesus, Jesus Christ being very God, voluntarily laid aside his glory in heaven in order to come to this sin-infested world and to live and walk among us, and not only to, to live and walk among us, but to die the most horrible death that is possible to die in order to give you and I a salvation. And that very, very well-known verse, you, I'm sure you've got the verse memorized. John 3.16 say, says the following, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. For God so loved the world. You know, that, uh, that includes you and I, unlovable as we were. For God so loved the world. But then the saying continues. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, Paul, Paul gives us this additional insight. Just listen to what he has to say in Romans chapter 5 and verse 7. For no one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. You see, there's absolutely nothing about your life, about my life, that merited God's love. Absolutely nothing. You know, we, we had turned our backs on God. Uh, we were God's enemies. And yet... Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And this early saying, and this, this saying from, from the early church, it expresses the absolute core message of the gospel. The absolute core message of the gospel, that Christ Jesus comes into the world to save sinners. And it was that, it was that message that transformed Paul's life. And then as we continue to move on into verses 15 and 16, Paul returns to his own personal testimony. And so let's, uh, let's continue to, to read uh, in, in these verses. And Paul says in verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he just kind of adds this, this, this phrase, of whom I am foremost. Of whom I am foremost. And we, now we need to stop for a moment at that phrase and, and ask ourselves the question, 
why, why did Paul say, I am foremost, instead of saying, I was foremost? You see, I would have understood if Paul had said, I was foremost. I mean, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent. I would have understood that. But, but what Paul says is, I am foremost. And so why did Paul say that? Well, I, I'm struck by the fact that Paul, even as a believer, recognized his sinfulness. And, and that reminds me this morning that I too am in constant, constant need of God's grace. You see, my, my actions, my attitudes, my motivations never measure up to God's holy standard. And so I, with Paul, have to say as well this morning, I am foremost. And it's only because of God's grace. that I'm able to continue a relationship with God. But then Paul continues, verse 16, Paul continues saying Christ, going back to verse 15, just to pick up Paul's thought here, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And Paul exclaims in this verse and says, I'm exhibit A, Paul says, of God, Christ Jesus' patience. I'm exhibit A. I'm the foremost of sinners, and Christ Jesus has been and is patient with me. And if Christ Jesus is patient with me, he'll, he'll be patient with, with anyone. And you know, that's, that's a truth that I need to hear on a, on a daily basis. The patience of Christ Jesus that was extended to the Apostle Paul is also the same patience that Christ Jesus extends to each one of us as well. I'm exhibit A, Paul said, of Christ Jesus' patience. And then I'm struck by the fact that the Apostle Paul, having taken these few verses this morning uh, to reflect on the magnitude of, of God's grace, as he reaches verse 17, he just bursts into a doxology in verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, as I was reflecting on this doxology that Paul just, he couldn't help himself as he has, has reminded us this morning of God's mercy and God's grace and God's love, he, he, couldn't just, he couldn't help himself. He just bursts into 
a doxology. And uh, as I reflected on this doxology, I was struck by the fact that God is totally distinct from you and I. God is, is totally distinct from, from uh, you and me. He's the eternal king. He's the eternal king to the king of the ages. He's the invisible one who lives forever, never dies, immortal, invisible. He's the only God. And yet this God who is king of the universe, totally distinct from you and me, stoops down to pour his love, his mercy, his grace into human beings, into sinful human beings like me. And you know, it's no wonder that Paul would burst into a doxology after these few verses of reflecting on God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love. Paul's heart just overflows with gratitude to God as he writes these few verses uh, to, to Timothy. And so this morning, as we've reflected briefly on this paragraph, we've been asking our, ourselves the question, how do, how, do, how do I keep from slipping into a distorted perspective of the gospel. And what Paul has done in these verses this morning, he's brought us back to the foundational principles of the gospel message. And as we keep focused on these foundational principles, it will keep us from sliding into some kind of distorted perspective of the gospel message. And so let me try and summarize a couple of the key principles that we've seen uh, this morning in this passage. And the first principle that I'm struck with uh, is the fact that it's, it's all about God. It's not about me. It, it's all about God. It, it's not about me. You, you see, God was the one who had extended mercy to Paul. You see, God was the one who had poured his grace into Paul's life. You see, God was the one who sent his son to die on a cross for, for you and me. You know, and, and, and Paul is concerned that, that we understand this morning that, that he did absolutely nothing, nothing to earn God's favor. In fact, it was just the opposite. I mean, he was, he was fighting against God. And yet Paul retells his, his testimony for us uh, this morning in these verses in order to remind us that, you know, that there's nothing that you and I can do to, to earn a God's favor. Nothing that you and I can do to, to earn God's favor. It, it's all about God's grace. It's all about God's grace. It's not about my effort. 
That was one principle that struck me from these verses. But then there's a second principle that uh, I'd like to summarize for us this morning as well. And and the second exciting truth that we see uh, in these verses is that no one, no one is excluded from the gift of God's salvation. No one is excluded. You see, if, if God could take a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent and transform him into an apostle, there's nothing that you've done that that puts you in a place where God's grace cannot reach you. There's nothing that you and I have done that excludes us from the reach of God's grace. And all that he asks, all that that God asks is that we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith in him. And so if you're here this morning as a believer, as somebody that has accepted God's gift of of salvation. I I trust that you'll leave this morning, leave the service this morning with a song in your heart. Just knowing that your relationship with God uh, is is based entirely on his grace, not, not on your effort. Yes, it's true that, that you and I need to be intentional in continuing to grow in that relationship, but it's God, it's God who, who causes that growth in our lives. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted that gift of salvation, why not today? You see, Christ Jesus waits for you with open arms. He's ready to pour that same mercies, that same grace, and that same love into your life that he poured into the life of the Apostle Paul. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul because it focuses our attention back on you. It focuses uh, our attention back on your grace and your love that you have so freely poured into our lives, and we just want to thank you for that. Uh, Lord, I pray that in some way um, you might weave that truth into the fabric of our lives. We're, We're so inclined to feel like we have to exert some effort in our relationship with you, but I just pray that somehow... Uh, your overwhelming grace will be just woven into the fabric of our lives this morning uh, and we'll realize that it is it is truly all about you and it's not uh, about me. Uh, and so we just uh, commit ourselves as we move into another week into your hands for your wonderful name's sake. Amen.